been, uh, been with Amazon for about six years, based out of Austin, Texas, started in our professional services group, um, saw an opportunity for our EUC products at Amazon.com. I deployed um, Amazon's corporate images for, uh, for Amazon Workspaces, and then uh, when we built a specialist organization, that was kind of a natural fit for the role. So that's what brings me up here today. So what we're going to talk about is today's challenges in the EUC space. We'll get into why customers choose AWS end-user computing. We'll go into an overview of the products that build the, uh, the portfolio. We'll talk a bit about the deployment considerations, what you want to do around your uh, account design, networking, et cetera. And if all goes well, have a little bit of time for a demo. It's all going to depend on pacing, uh, event network, and uh, you know, whether or not the demo gods are forgiving. So why are we even talking about this? The, the way that we work is changing. There have been a few macro trends in end-user computing over the last few, uh, few years. People work is changing. They want to be able to, uh, to work anywhere, at any time, from any device, with anyone. We've effectively built the technology to eliminate the concept of a snow day. That's on all of us. We did that. That's why we have to work instead of getting the day off when, uh, when weather hits. 65% of employees say that they'd be more productive with flexible work policies. 43% of workers worked remotely for some significant portion of their, uh, their, their jobs in 2018. And there are 16 million people today in what we consider the gig economy, the temps, the contractors, and freelancers. Technology helps these workers be more productive than ever before. Powerful devices and pervasive, reliable, high-speed internet access, employees today expect to be able to get their work done from anywhere using the device of their choice. At the same time, businesses are moving faster than ever. The average age of, the for of a Fortune 500 company today is 20. That's, I I've been in IT longer than the average age of a Fortune 500 company. Um, that's, uh, that's down from, uh, from 60 years in, uh, in the 50s. Merger and acquisition activities in 2018 was valued at $5 trillion globally. So the ability to move and to react to those types of uh, business decisions is critical. And the importance of security, it never goes away. It's continually rising. There were 4.5 billion records exposed in the first half of 2018. 34% of data breaches were from lost or stolen devices. Now, whether that was data that was stored directly on the device or uh, usernames and passwords that allowed access to deeper systems, that's a significant number of, uh, of breaches that were related to those uh, lost and stolen devices. The average cost of a data breach in 2018 was $3.8 million. So it's challenging for us in IT to meet the needs of those end users. The on-premises infrastructure, traditional VDI, and other on-prem solutions are very expensive. Uh, IT admins are forced to guess at annual demand and build for peak need. It's complicated to manage applications in those environments. The, the unsecured personal devices that we see um, users bringing into the environment all the time, when we long ago referred to it as BYOD, bring your own device, uh, a lot of IT admins, we, we knew that the D really stood for disaster because it was just a disaster waiting to happen. Users bringing any device of any type with any operating system with any level of patch and wanting all that corporate access from whatever their device might be without wanting admins to install security tools on those devices. So that leads to that poor user experience 
We're either giving them unique and complicated ways to access that, uh, that data, or we're asking users to allow us to install security tools, security components, on devices that they personally own. And then they want to know, what can IT see with, uh, with this agent? What, what, am I, what am I trading off? What if I just carried multiple devices? So to address some of these challenges, many IT decision makers are turning to AWS and user computing solutions. We've built these solutions based on years of customer feedback from both the IT teams who typically deploy and manage these services and from the workers who use these tools day to day to be productive. So from, uh, from our feedback, our mission is to give users the ability to access company data and applications anywhere at any time from any device while helping IT administrators improve their data security, reduce the complexity in their environments, and increase that user productivity. Our desktop application and cloud storage solutions leverage the work that AWS has done over the years to solve a lot of those hard IT problems. There are six things that improve when customers move their EUC workloads to the cloud. You get access to those resources anywhere from any device, we're able to, to scale with the changing workforce. So without having to pre-plan for all of that hardware capacity, you can scale up and scale down as your users come in or go out for seasonal demands, et cetera. We can enable innovation. Uh, a lot of our components, uh, everything we've got has an extensible SDK. So you can integrate our EUC products with your um, service portals, with uh, service catalogs to enable end-user self-support. Our AppStream product can be embedded in web pages so that it meets your user experience and integrates seamlessly with the way that you're delivering applications without requiring rewrites of those, of those applications. We have all the security and controls that you're used to with AWS, so we improve your, uh, can help improve your security posture there. And uh, overall, this just helps increase that user productivity while simplifying IT operations and reducing the spend to address on-demand capacity requirements. These are the products in the AWS EUC portfolio. I'll go into a little bit more detail on all of them, but uh, Workspaces is our persistent desktop experience. It's a secure managed cloud desktop that workers can access uh, from any supported device. AppStream 2.0 is an application delivery mechanism. So Workspaces is a full desktop. AppStream is specific Windows applications. We can deliver those through an HTML5 web browser without any additional software to deploy. Uh, Worklink is a secure and managed service that provides your employees uh, one-click access to internal corporate content, interactive um, you know, intranet content through a, uh, an interactive SVG. So when that network connection drops from Worklink, any of that data that, uh, that they were interacting with is gone. As soon as that, uh, that connection, as soon as they move away from that application, uh, without authenticating, without you know, using biometrics or, or entering their password again, there's no access to the corporate data that they were accessing on that mobile device. And then WorkDocs is our secure managed content creation, file collaboration, and uh, file management service. Uh, again, extensible SDK, so you can really develop a lot of your own capabilities, products, uh, you know, enterprise document management uh, systems around WorkDocs. Together, these services help our, our end users get their job done anywhere on any device securely and quickly. Uh, we've got a wide array of customers, so I can't uh, possibly go into all of them here, but uh, you'll notice it's across many industries, media and entertainment, oil and gas exploration, healthcare and life sciences, uh, universities, financial institutions. Uh, we've got a, a, a wide range of, of folks using Amazon uh, EUC services. 
So I'm going to drill down into, uh, into some of the individual services now. <clears throat> we'll get a little deeper into workspaces first. So the workspaces service handles the heavy lifting of managing your user device hardware at scale. Uh, with workspaces, we're able to leverage and take advantage of our global infrastructure. Um, we're built on top of solutions that many of you are already familiar with. We run on, uh, the instances run on EC2. The storage is on um, EBS. Our network connectivity is provided through VPC, so you can use the Direct Connect or VPN, whatever familiar constructs you have in, in AWS for your infrastructure apps today, you can take advantage of those same constructs for workspaces. It's a pay-as-you-go model. Uh, as a customer, you can take advantage of our scale and our, our uh, pay-as-you-go model to go anywhere from a single workspace for a single user to thousands of workspaces for thousands of users across the world. Um, APIs that allow you to scale up, scale down, as I mentioned earlier, tie into service catalogs so users can request systems on their own. And it's a very scalable and performance solution. So in a lot of traditional VDI, you're trying to build for a concurrency capacity, right? You're trying to find the right level of infrastructure to provide to share resources among those users. With workspaces, an individual user runs on an individual instance. When you provision a new user, that user gets a new instance. You're not sharing that, uh, that capability. Uh, they're getting the full capacity of that, that instance in the same way that EC2 provides that capacity on an instance basis in, uh, uh, in, in the EC2 world. Just a, a quick aside here, if you'd like to see workspaces in a production environment, uh, head to the hands-on labs in the Venetian. This is a shot of the hands-on lab environment from reInvent 2017. I did take it with a drone. It's why I haven't updated it since 2017. It does turn out casinos do not like when you fly a drone indoors. I had suspected, but I thought, eh, let's try it. <clears throat> so this won't be updated for a while. So that environment is running hundreds of systems we have full regional redundancy, so if something happens with our network connection, we fail over to, uh, to a different region. We have 25% additional capacity for systems that are running in the room. So this is obviously a critical production deployment for us. Our labs have to run. Our certification environment has to run. And for the last six years, it's run on Amazon Workspaces. Um, so if you, uh, if you have a chance, visit the hands-on labs, the spotlight labs, or the certification environments. One of the other things you'll notice is the room for all those systems, super quiet, because these are zero clients. There's no fans, there's no spinning hard drives. Um, it is a uh, direct connection to workspaces. It's all running uh, right now out of, uh, out of Oregon. Um, very, uh, uh, very different environment if you've ever built labs like this with traditional PCs versus going into a room where it's all running on, uh, on zero clients. So workspaces uh, allow you to, to deliver that high quality desktop experience while helping meet the compliance and security requirements that you may have in your environment. There's no sensitive data on user devices. Remember when we were talking about the breaches that 34% uh, you know, of systems uh, of those uh, data breaches were because of lost devices? Once I've lost my network connection, there is no connectivity back to that workspace. There is no data that is dropped down onto the local workspace. You're working in, a, in an isolated system. Um, for me, that, that really came into uh, to play when I was you know, early in my career at Amazon working as a consultant. Um, I would go on site with customers that had uh, very stringent network access requirements. So I did a lot of operation um, over my cell phone hotspot. And with Windows, you're getting your security updates your software packages, your you know, 
10 gig email attachments, whatever people are doing now with the uh, your videos embedded in PowerPoints, embedded in other things. All of that stuff you know, would consume that data from my hotspot. My performance was terrible. But when I moved to a workspace, now I'm accessing that corporate data. I'm just streaming the pixels down, from my, down to my phone. I went from 27 gig on an average month to 7 gig. Uh, just by switching the delivery mechanism from VPN to, uh, to that remote access over, uh, over workspaces. Your storage is encrypted at rest. You can use uh, Amazon's key management services with our keys or your keys. Uh, we provide the ability to encrypt both the storage volume and the system volume. And then the desktop stream is encrypted in transit. We actually have uh, two protocols now. Some of you may have seen the beta announcement uh, from a week ago. We have uh, our, our Existing service traditionally has run on Teradici's PC over IP. Uh, we are in beta with the Workspaces streaming protocol. This is a protocol that we've developed in-house to be a cloud-native protocol. Offloads a lot of the heavy lifting, um, you know, performance monitoring, uh, connection, um, healing, all those sorts of things. It's, we've offloaded a lot of that to microservices that are no longer running on the Workspaces client itself. Um, you know, the idea from our, our new protocol is to both enable new workloads, including bi-directional video, and um, you know, really change the way that, that we deliver in unknown network conditions. So it's made to be a lot more forgiving of rough networks, things that you might run into in, say, a, uh, an environment like this. And workspaces work well with your existing tools. So one of the key things is these are just standard Windows or Linux endpoints. You're not having to retrain your IT administrators. We work with existing Active Directory solutions. We'll you know, respond to group policy settings. For multi-factor, you can use any RADIUS-compatible uh, um, RADIUS-based solution for MFA. Whatever you're doing for, for patching and systems management today, whether that's System Center, Big Fix, WSUS, uh, we have a lot of folks that are using uh, Liquidware. Um, Stratosphere actually has uh, workspace modules to help you determine the performance uh, within a, a workspace. If you're familiar with uh, Liquidware's Stratosphere UX, um, you know, it gives you a lot of insight into the performance of your traditional endpoints, but they've uh, built some modules specifically around the sizing of workspaces. So it really helps you kind of get insight into what the right instance types for your users uh, should be. As far as flexibility of, uh, of the workspace, we work with, uh, with desktop clients. We've got a, a Windows, a Mac client, Chromebook, uh, various tablets, so your, your iPads, um, Android tablets, uh, mobile devices in some cases. Uh, the Samsung is a, a really interesting one. If you've got a Samsung phone uh, with DeX, you can plug in. There's a, a workspaces client that'll basically take your, your cell phone as the, uh, the brains to get you connected to your workspace, and then you can you know, expand that out to a regular monitor, keyboard, and mouse plugged in through their, uh, their DeX dock. You get that full access to your desktop through your cell phone. We, uh, we offer currently two operating systems, technically three, but if you're still deploying Windows 7, I got some bad news. <laughs> it's uh, not a lot of time left. So Windows 10, Windows 10 Experience, and uh, Amazon Linux for, for the, uh, the operating system of the uh, actual workspace. And then a variety of different bundle sizes. Value is really meant to run those really lightweight workloads, uh, like a Linux running a web browser would be a good option for, for value. Standard is meant to be the, uh, the traditional office uh, use case. Uh, what we're finding is with some of the additional uh, demands of Windows 10, the performance bundle usually fits a little bit better for uh, uh, standard office worker use cases where you're using 
you know, any of the uh, modern office, uh, office updates. And we also have Power and Power Pro uh, instance types that uh, basically, you know, as you go up this stack, you get uh, more memory, more processor capability. And there are two GPU-enabled uh, workloads, uh, one that runs on the NVIDIA K520 and another that's the Tesla M60. So if you're running heavy graphics workloads or engineering workloads, um, GPU workspaces may be a, a good option for those users. And then we have flexible pricing plans between uh, monthly, hourly, and some bring-your-own uh, uh, license considerations. The uh, always-on workspaces, that's really the monthly price, right? That's the um, anytime you've got a user running more than roughly 82 hours, you're probably going to be better off using always-on versus hourly. And we have a cost optimizer that helps you make some of those decisions. It's very difficult to know what your users are actually doing in the field once you've deployed a solution. Uh, well, with, uh, with our cost optimizer, we capture the CloudWatch events. We can show whether a user has been connected to a workspace for 40 hours in a month or you know, 110 hours in a month. Um, and you know, it may be non-obvious, right? If you've got a lot of people who do work in field sales and they're out in their cars all day and the majority of their work is paper notebooks and then they get in, they connect to your CRM systems and they update uh, you know, transactions there, perhaps they're, they're working full time but their workspace may only, uh, may only be used 10 hours a week. Those are gonna be uh, good use cases for the hourly workspaces. And the cost optimizer is just a series of uh, Lambda scripts. It runs a, a, a Fargate uh, module so that uh, it'll collect that data and, and give you guidance on, uh, on the best way to uh, uh, size that environment. Can also automatically make those decisions for you. If you want it to, uh, the cost optimizer to switch between hourly and monthly automatically, um, you can enable that. It's just a, a, a bit in the configuration to make that change completely automatic. So how are customers using workspaces? Well, they're, you know, all kinds of ways. There's a few main you know, uh, patterns for how, how people get uh, you know, start with workspaces for the first workloads that they look at. A lot of times it's, uh, it's those edge of the enterprise use cases, the partners, the consultants, the temporary employees, folks who work for another organization, perhaps have hardware that was provided by that organization but need access into your corporate environment. Uh, mobile and remote employees, uh, you know, a lot of times you're looking for a different solution for VPNs, something that's more convenient, something that's easier to connect, that doesn't require managing that VPN infrastructure, and with, uh, with workspaces, you don't need to run over, uh, over a VPN. The client will broker that, uh, that connection for you. And there's a lot of replacement of existing VDI infrastructure. So where you've got uh, large uh, VDI infrastructure investments today, things are coming end of life, licenses are coming up for renewal, looking at workspaces as a, uh, a mechanism to move some of that workload off to uh, another solution is, uh, is very popular. We also, you know, if you're running something like a Citrix workload building on, on EC2, uh, a lot of customers will move their, uh, their core workloads there and then look for smaller pockets where they can take advantage of workspaces. What they find generally is that workspaces takes away a lot of that heavy lift, the administrative effort for some of the other products. So a customer quote here from, uh, from Yamaha, performance and stability is better than before. We're able to introduce the solution quickly. Best of all, workspaces did not require upfront investment. You pay only for what you use. They are now working to retire their on-premises VDI solution entirely. All right, so what about AppStream? So we built AppStream 2.0 to provide customers a new way to deliver applications in a fully managed application streaming service without requiring a heavy rewrite of those applications. 
Uh, your applications and data are not stored again on user computers, right? Uh, they, it's streaming through a web browser, so AppStream helps improve security for your applications. The sessions are streamed, again, encrypted pixels, so access across uh, data stored with the, you know, access, provides the access to that data stored within your, your network. It is a different protocol. So we're using nice DCV for AppStream, so still an encrypted protocol, but a different, uh, different approach. Um, and it's centrally managed. So again, every user has the same version of your applications. When you update an image, the longest uh, a session can, uh, can remain connected uh, without getting that refreshed image is 16 hours. As soon as a user connects after you've updated the image, they will get the, the newest versions of your software. So that allows you to quickly roll out uh, iterations of products and then roll back if you have, uh, have issues. So a very good uh, you know, mechanism for that uh, kind of A-B testing or, or beta testing of new features in your applications. And again, it is a uh, Windows endpoint, so it integrates with your existing Active Directory, your network and cloud storage. And uh, the scaling is the, is the same. You know, every user gets a, uh, an instance dedicated to, uh, to that user. So how can you use AppStream? We've seen a lot of use cases, a couple I wanna go into specifically. You know, business applications. We have uh, enterprises like Core Expert by Teamwork, uh, an AWS advanced consulting partner, has uh, simplified their application management with AppStream. So after completing an acquisition, they needed to quickly provide every user secure access to their SAP environment through a Windows client. And the challenge, was that their user base was part Windows, part Mac, and some people just kind of bringing their own thing, you know, trying to run off of Chromebooks. They wanted to be able to provide a solution that would work for those separate IT environments without managing separate code bases for, uh, for SAP. So they tried AppStream. In two days, they had a fully functioning deployment for, uh, for every user. So much faster than you would be able to build that same capability uh, trying to manage different install types for different types of hardware, um, different operating systems. Other customers like Avanti, a geospatial information security consulting uh, company uses AppStream to work without providing their users high-end workspaces. GIS consultants are always on the road, rarely in an office, uh, but they're increasingly using those GPU-based applications to capture, store, and manipulate uh, GIS data. If you've ever tried to drag around a, a CAD-capable workstation in the field, it's heavy, it's uh, got quick battery life, it's terrifying because you're like, if I break this, it's gonna, if I drop this, it's, it's gonna be expensive. So, uh, you know, a little bit of an unpleasant uh, end-user experience from that end. Well, with AppStream, um, Avari was able to, uh, to give access to the GIS apps on any computer through that web browser, and it cost less than 70% of what they had estimated it would cost to, uh, to deploy those same capabilities using high-end uh, workstations. We also see a lot of software vendors using AppStream to accelerate their application adoption. Uh, with instant uh, demos, trials, and workshops, full SaaS offerings, again, you're delivering an experience through the web browser. You don't have to worry about what the end user is running in their uh, personal environment. Uh, I'll get a little bit more into a customer that's done that as we go a little further. There are multiple instance families of AppStream. Um, we have general purpose, so that's for your general knowledge worker applications. There's compute optimized for compute uh, bound applications that would benefit from that high performance processor. Memory optimized for processing large data sets, and then graphics optimized, the kind of the use case I was talking about for, uh, for GIS. Within graphics, we have three different instance families. There's the graphics design, 
Those are powered by the AMD FirePro S7150 X2 GPUs, and I have to look at my notes every time with that one. So that rely, those are for uh, applications that rely on hardware acceleration of uh, DirectX, OpenGL, or OpenCL, such as uh, Adobe Premiere Pro, Autodesk Revit, and Siemens NX. If you need CUDA support, our desktop family uses the NVIDIA K520 GPU. So that's the same as the uh, GPU-based workspace, and uh, our Graphics Pro family uses the NVIDIA Tesla M60. That's our Graphics Pro Plus workspace. The, T, the, uh, the M60 uh, provides instant sizes up to 64 vCPUs and 488 uh, gigabytes of uh, system memory. And yes, I intentionally said it that way. It's the GIB. Uh, and 32 gigs of uh, graphics memory. Is it abbreviated gigs? I've never actually heard it said out loud. Graphics Pro instances are ideal for those uh, graphics workloads that need a massive amount of processing, parallel processing power for 3D rendering, uh, visualization, and video encoding. That includes applications such as Petrel's Petroleum Exploration and uh, Production Software from Schlumberger, uh, Landmark's Decision Space for geoscientific analysis, or uh, Motion DSP's Ikena for uh, real-time video enhancements and analysis. Now, I'm the IT guy. I'm infrastructure. I don't know how any of those products work. So in the demo, I'm going to render a toy helicopter in Blender. <laughs> That's the limits of my capability. The administrative workflow for AppStream 2.0 is pretty straightforward. There's an image builder that you use to install and configure your business applications, an image assistant where you provide the shortcuts and the command line options that you need to uh, optimize and run those, those apps. You define a fleet. That's where your configuration, including instance type, um, networking options, whether you're domain joining or not, uh, scaling configurations are, are, are provisioned. And then you provision the stack. Those configurations include your uh, user storage, access permission options, and custom branding. Um, you provide access to the stack to your users. There are three different uh, authentication mechanisms. You can build your own using our APIs. Uh, you can use a Cognito identity pool for um, in-region access to those, uh, those stacks. Or you can use a SAML 2.0 to, to provide access through an existing identity provider. So one of our uh, customer success stories here is Dassault Systems uh, SolidWorks. They develop 3D CAD software. Um, they're using AppStream to deliver their flagship product as a demo. So if you go to, uh, if you search on our case study site, you'll find the SolidWorks uh, case study. They're actually delivering the entire SolidWorks 2018 CAD premium to prospective customers via a web browser. So Think about what this looked like in the past. If you've ever tried to demo this type of high-end software, you've got a multi-gig download. You wait for that to finish. You try to run it on your system. You find out that oh, some of your drivers are out of date, so you've got to go and update your firmware and bring down new graphics drivers. And then you find out that your graphics card isn't supported anyway, or you don't have the, the network capacity required. Well, all of that complexity goes away when you're just delivering this through a web browser. So you've already verified that backend environment in AppStream. All the user needs is connectivity and a modern browser to, to experience the, uh, the demo the way that you've built it. Then uh, MathWorks, same thing, using Amazon AppStream 2.0 for hands-on MATLAB deep learning workshops with their customers. It's a programming environment used by engineers and scientists for algorithm development, data analysis, visualization, and uh, numeric computation. Um, and they're able to deliver those updates, deliver that, uh, that capability simply through a browser. So that brings us to WorkDocs. WorkDocs is our secure, easy-to-use cloud storage service for, uh, 
for unstructured user content. This is your Office files, your PowerPoints, your Excels, things like that, all of the different versions of those things. It's a secure content store. As an administrator, you own and control those files for your environment. You can specify which AWS region is used to store files if you have data locality requirements that you need to maintain. Global access to, to WorkDocs is provided through the web client, through our mobile applications, through WorkDocs Drive, which simply shows up as a mounted drive letter on your, uh, your operating system. Um, it does not sync all the files. It only updates the files that you're actively working on. So its storage footprint is, uh, is well managed through that mechanism. And then WorkDocs integrates very easily with workspaces. So your content can be available from uh, any environment on any device. Again, full extensible SDK. If you want to develop a, a deeper experience on AppStream and you, sorry, on WorkDocs and use WorkDocs for the, the underlying document storage, then our API lets you, uh, lets you build those deeper enterprise data management uh, solutions. There are a lot of ways teams can use WorkDocs to be more productive, um, you know, beyond just storing content in the cloud. Uh, sharing that, that content out, there are um, many versions of any WorkDocs document. So if you ever have uh, had the experience where you've gone in, you've made a lot of edits, and you're like, man, I really need the version of this document that I had back in June, you can go back and roll that document back, see those, those previous versions in the, um, the web interface. Comments and workflow uh, associated with those documents as you send things out for review and make updates are associated with the individual versions. So it gives you a, a very controllable mechanism to go back and see what type of feedback have I responded to, what haven't I. Um, there are task items that you can assign to others when you, uh, when you require someone else's review. Uh, one of our customers using that, uh, using WorkDocs today is, uh, is Halliburton. So they're using WorkDocs to support the, uh, the Open Earth Community Initiative. That is an open community of scientists, engineers, and software developers in the oil and gas industry, all working together to speed up and lower the cost of uh, digitization for the entire industry. Condé Nast, uh, another one. They're using uh, WorkDocs as a secure, glo globally available content repository. So their users span multiple contents, uh, sorry, continents and uh, generate and access all kinds of content uh, for their magazine. With WorkDocs, they always have the latest version at hand. Um, the data is easily stored and secured and all accessible by Condé Nast publications and editorial teams around the world. And now is probably a good time to mention, if for no other reason than because my marketing guys put this slide in here, um, <clears throat> WorkDocs does come along with Workspaces. So you get a 50 gig free tier for Amazon Workspaces users, which you can upgrade to up to one terabyte for $2 per user per month. Uh, WorkDocs Drive, again, the, the mountable drive letter can be used as your default storage solution. So let's get into some of the architecture and deployment considerations. We're going to start with the scenario of an existing AWS customer, a hybrid architecture, a mix of applications both on-premises and in the cloud. They have an existing Active Directory environment for identity, and uh, we're going to assume an AWS Direct Connect is already in place. There are 4,000 users, approximately 30% uh, contingent workforce. 10% uh, of the users have, uh, have a need for special purpose computing environments, so your engineering users, your data scientists, your GIS folks. Uh, the vast majority, though, are standard office users. So accounting, marketing, risk management, et cetera. <clears throat> so when you're approaching a project like this, and, and you know, I've got, 
but 28 minutes left, so obviously I'm going to have to simplify things a little bit. Um, you've really got to think about what your main drivers are for an EUC solution. If you uh, start a proof of concept and you're just looking to see what VDI looks like, you're, you're not going to be successful. You've got to think about are you trying to reduce costs? Are you trying to simplify a part of the user experience? Um, do your engineering workers complain that they need more powerful systems to support some of their applications? Perhaps you're looking for a way to give them that, that capability without a heavy investment. Are your developers regularly requesting systems that have higher specs than your, uh, your standard image? Right? Could you use Workspaces or AppStream to offer better performance or simplify the experience when accessing your infrastructure from home versus something like a traditional VPN? So these are just some of the elements that will go into your decision-making process. Uh, you really need to establish those success criteria up front. Are you going to be driven by user acceptance, where you know, the experience of the user is the only focus? Are you driving by uh, that, that cost reduction for your overall infrastructure? And then build a pilot solution that addresses those needs. Run your user acceptance testing, and then it's, it's AWS. So it's very easy to deploy, iterate, make changes. If you deploy a, an instance type and you find that the performance isn't, uh, isn't what you need, you can very easily go in and change that, that instance sizing um, to something you know, greater or, or less, depending on if you like your users or not. <laughs> um, and then uh, when you actually get around to deploying it, the first step in your implementation is the account structure. As with anything AWS, you really need to be thinking about what that account structure looks like. Account boundaries give you administrative boundaries. So the account within AWS gives you a, a sort of a, a blast radius, blast control, right? So you're not going to give your, your database uh, administrators access to your end user computing environment generally. And you're not going to give your uh, end user computing admins access to change your, your website. So Establishing a standalone account for that EUC environment is key. Now, it can be linked through, uh, through either organizations or through that, that uh, payer um, and linked account structure. Um, really, what I usually recommend is only doing central logging in your, uh, your payer account <clears throat> and then using separate environments for, uh, for really everything else. Um, Again, organizations can help with that overall account relationship and structure. Uh, and some companies split things out by type of environment, like you see on the slides here, dev and prod. Others by department. You might have accounting and IT and web as, as separate groups. However you do it, end user should be in its own account. So from account structure, we move on to some network design decisions. So workspaces will always require two subnets in different availability zones. AppStream 2.0 can be deployed across uh, a single AZ, but should always be deployed across two uh, different availability zones just for uh, reliability and availability. Your subnets should be sized to accommodate your target end state capacity. So in our case, we said we have about 4,000 users. So that's a minimum VPC site or block of a slash 20, 4,096 addresses, or two slash 21s at uh, 2,048 addresses each. So while that would be sufficient for our current needs, if you want to allow for future growth, uh, maybe you start with a slash 19, so 8192 addresses, and then subdivide two slash 21s for workspaces, two slash 22s for uh, AppStream, and there's a slash 21 left over. The main message here is you're going to have to spend some time with your network engineers. You're going to be whiteboarding some of this and trying to really figure out what you want that final environment to look like. If you have plenty of IP space available, maybe you can start with a bigger block. If you grow beyond the boundaries of your original VPC, you may need a, a new range. We do support adding additional CIDR blocks to a VPC. 
Now that you've got the, uh, the core networking configured, um, what do the actual network interfaces look like within these services? So uh, an instance in either service has two network interfaces. There's ETH0, which is the service interface. So for AppStream, that's your uh, DCV traffic. For workspaces, that's your PC over IP or your uh, Windows streaming, or workspaces streaming protocol traffic. That is only, the only traffic that goes through that interface is that, uh, that, that service traffic. ETH1 is the interface that exists in your VPC. So the network that we just defined on the prior slide, that's where ETH1 will drop. So you have full control over ETH1. That's where all of your user traffic, you know, going to a website or, or going to internal corporate uh, systems, um, that's all gonna happen over, uh, over ETH1. You control the AppStream instances or workspace, how, how the AppStream instances or workspaces get access to the internet through ETH1. You could run it all through a NAT, uh, you can push it through a content filtering system. Uh, you could run a security stack on EC2. We have a number of partner products in our marketplace like Sophos, uh, Cisco, or Palo Alto Networks. You may run everything back over a, a virtual private gateway through a VPN or and then run traffic through uh, on-site content or security control points. It's uh, completely up to you what you do with it. Um, but you have the same capabilities and controls that you have in general VPC constructs. All right, then directory integration. So after deciding on the network, we move to uh, user access and directory integration. All workspaces are always joined to an active directory domain. With AppStream 2.0, fleets can be domain joined or they can be standalone. In our example, we're gonna assume a requirement for domain authentication with both workspaces and AppStream. So under workspaces, the AWS directory service gives you a reg code. The reg code is how the service looks up um, you know, the workspace assigned to an individual user. All users within a, a specific workspaces environment will have the same reg code. So it's not a, a security mechanism, it's just an identity tag. With, uh, with AppStream for domain joined fleets, the connection between a user and a fleet that that user can access is handled by the relay state passed by a SAML response. Now you can certainly reach back to on-premises AD controllers as long as your VPC has a, a direct connect or a, a, you know, some other link back to your environment. But I generally recommend extending AD into EC2. The reason for this is because you know, Windows communication between clients and your, uh, your Active Directory environment is pretty chatty. So the closer you can have that, uh, that infrastructure to your uh, endpoint devices, the better um, that user experience is going to be. So this is uh, applicable to both workspaces and domain-joined AppStream 2.0 fleets. Um, you use that cross-account VPC peering for communications to a shared services VPC where you build your Active Directory controllers. And then remember to define your VPCs in Active Directory sites and services. I see a number of uh, deployments where, hey, we, you know, we put AD controllers in EC2 and our systems are still calling back to um, you know, the first responder in, um, in our on-premises environment. And that's usually because there's a, a miss in that um, sites and services definition and then separate those Active Directory OUs by service and region. That'll allow you to apply different policies to different, uh, different components based on their region, based on the service that they're running. All right, so let's see if we can uh, get a demo to work here. Oh, of course, it locked. The, the hardest part of any demo when you're on stage is getting the password entered right. All right, so this is a, a Windows 10 workspace. 
uh, running on my you know, Windows tablet. <clears throat> the uh, main thing I want to show here is this is a standard workspace, so it is not GPU accelerated. So in this case, um, you know, going back to our scenario, we're, we're thinking about the users that have those special purpose computing needs that aren't met by um, your, your general you know, office productivity solution. A lot of times, if that, if that user is not a, an engineering user spending you know, 50, 60 percent of their day in those engineering tools, let's say it's a supervisor who just needs to review workflow or, or do a final signature on a bridge design, something like that, they're, they're not using the, uh, um, those high performance components as frequently as they're using the standard components. So with AppStream and Workspaces, you can solve that problem. So I'm showing here a standard workspace. We'll try to run Blender. And I apologize, a, I know it can be a little difficult to read, so um, the message we got is your system does not ha have 3D hardware acceleration. Blender requires a graphics driver with OpenGL 2.1 support. This could be caused by a missing or faulty graphics driver installation, check. Um, accessing Blender through a remote connection, check. And using Blender on a virtual machine. So three strikes, I'm out, the program will now close. Can't run Blender on this system without a GPU. But I've put it in an app stream session. And I've connected this AppStream session using AWS SSO. So you'll see uh, some familiar windows here if you've built that. I've done some customization around the branding, so specific for, uh, for reInvent. And you see the applications available. Again, I'm just running this through a web browser. And I'd like to note you can absolutely use these services independently. Workspaces and AppStream are just two different mechanisms for delivering you know, different components to users. Again, Workspaces is that full desktop experience, and AppStream is... Uh, uh, a specific packaged application or set of applications. We have a um, traditional client for AppStream that gives you a few additional features if you need to pass through things like Wacom tablets or 3D connection mice or whatever. You can do that with the, uh, the, 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 the full install client, but I really love the power of just being able to run AppStream in a, uh, in a web browser. And actually, let me go full screen here so it's perhaps a little less tiny. You can see AppStream uh, you know, exists on the desktop. You can go full screen and basically get, uh, get access. You know, it, it doesn't look any different from, uh, from what your normal experience would be except the, uh, the bar along the top here that's the AppStream specific controls. So I am using um, roaming settings with, uh, with this AppStream session so I can go in and I'll see the documents I've previously opened. I'm gonna open that helicopter I talked about earlier. This is a, uh, a, an instance running an, uh, an NVIDIA Tesla M60 GPU, so when I render that uh, um, helicopter, it'll take about 20 seconds. Now, if you're doing this in a CPU or a you know, non-CUDA accelerated instance, it takes about four minutes. So we're seeing a, an exponential increase in capability and productivity by spawning off to that, uh, to that GPU session here. And you might wonder, well, what does that do to the workflow? Now you've generated this, but it's in this other system. Well, again, these are standard Windows components, so they are you know, participating. I'm getting the same H drive um, in my workspace as I'm getting on AppStream. So when I go to my outputs directory, we'll see 12.2 uh, at 3.11. Yep, that's, uh, that's right now. So let's see. Open with everyone's favorite uh, high-end graphics tool, Paint. 
And, uh, and there it is available in my workspace. And it's a little difficult to, to see. I'm switching windows here. But this is running it now outside of the AppStream session, pulled up from my, uh, my shared storage. I can now take that document and you know, assume this was an engineering design and not a toy helicopter render. And I could forward that into the workflow to, uh, you know, through engineering review or whatever other com elements I need to, uh, need to consider for uh, um, you know, getting things to, uh, to final production. So what does this all look like in the console? Good question. Oh, actually, before I leave this, uh, the Workspaces client, um, if, you're, uh, if you enable it, this is uh, the, the user self-service capabilities within the, uh, within the client. You can allow your users to change instance sizes on the fly, to increase disk size, or change compute type. So you can see here I'm, I'm running a, a power instance for my workspace. But uh, if I realize that you know, now that I have AppStream running, that's a little too much for me. I can downgrade that to performance, although no one in IT would ever downgrade their performance, so I'm not going to submit that. <laughs> Let's not be crazy. Um, but you can, uh, you can set constraints around what your users are able to do. Uh, you can control that purely from an administrative perspective, or you can give them that, that self-service capability. If you want to integrate our APIs into service catalogs so there's additional tracking, you can do that as well. And then this is also um, one of the options that will give you uh, a place where the user can go and reboot that, that workspace as if it was our console restart. So if the workspace gets hung because it's Windows and Windows does that, um, the user can hit work restart here, and that will actually restart the EC2 instance that backs their, uh, their workspace. All right, so we're going to leave full screen. Here's our console. Uh, so AppStream, this is the, uh, the console for AppStream. You can see the GPU demo stack that I've got loaded here. Um, you can configure the storage options, a lot of user settings around whether you enable clipboard or file transfer or local print permissions. So you can make decisions on whether the users have the ability to uh, um, copy between clipboard on their you know, outer system and the, the AppStream stack, whether they're allowed to uh, transfer files directly in or out. And you can configure whether that's single direction, bi-directional. Um, you know, if you really want to make your user's life difficult, disable all the clipboards and everything. You can see here the custom branding. So this is where we had the, uh, the, the AppStream logo. You can make some coloring changes. You can give links to your support desk so, uh, so you can route your users easily to uh, um, the right places when they need help. Let's see. And then there are two different um, fleet types. Now, when I'm running a demo, I run always on fleets because it's going to respond immediately. When I connect to it, I get that, that connection right away. Um, our on-demand fleets will spin up and then hibernate. So it takes about 90 seconds to connect to an on-demand fleet after it's been, uh, been initiated. And you can set scaling rules on your fleets for um, how many systems to, to bring in or to, to scale in and out. Um, I have an error here with my CloudWatch. Yep, yeah, CloudWatch alarm. I uh, forgot. I just uh, deleted a few. So I've got some rules there that aren't actually going to trigger anything. Um, but you can, uh, you can set scaling rules here. We have APIs that allow you to change those scaling rules um, you know, as the work week progresses. So maybe at, uh, at 8 a.m. you want to have a lot of standby instances waiting for your users. You can bring that, uh, that number of standby instances up. And then at uh, you know, 5 p.m. you can bring that number down. Still leave some minimum amount of, uh, of capacity there for the folks who are working uh, extra early or extra late. But you have the ability to set those rules. And there's a lot of uh, user data that we're, a lot of uh, fleet data that we collect 
to show you, you know, when those, those systems are in use. Now, I'm one person. I'm running two instances here, so it's not going to be you know, super valuable data in this case. You'll see it's uh, spiked while I'm running my demo. Surprise. Uh, but, uh, but this gives you an idea of your total allocated capacity, your in-use capacity, and you can see that projected over time to help you uh, tune and, and uh, throttle those, uh, those environments. You know, maybe on weekends you want to move everything to a, an on-demand fleet. You have that capability through, uh, through our APIs. Workspaces, it's a fairly straightforward uh, uh, console here. Um, and again, you know, we have full PowerShell capabilities, things like that. If you're working at, uh, at scale, you're most likely going to want to, uh, to look at how you do things with, uh, with PowerShell. When we build these labs, we don't sit in the console and click through for every user one at a time. We you know, have a, a CSV file of all the uh, usernames that we want to provision. And uh, you know, with, uh, with PowerShell, it'll automatically batch and throttle those, uh, those requests so we can build thousands of systems by just running a single script and coming back in an hour. All right. So with that, uh, we have global availability to our services. Um, I know it's a little hard to make out the difference between the yellow and the green here, um, but the ones that are split are both uh, workspaces and AppStream. Workspaces, at the time I made this slide, was in 13 regions. I think it's 14 now. I think we've, uh, we've re released uh, China since I uh, got this one launched. And then AppStream is available in, uh, in eight regions. So you can easily spin up services in regions that are closer to your users in response to business needs, merger and acquisition uh, activities, and employee movement. We have a free tier of the services out there, so uh, you know, workspaces. There's uh, the ability to run two standard bundle workspaces for 40 hours. That can be the Amazon Linux 2 or Windows 10 experience. Uh, that includes WorkDocs with 50 gig of storage. AppStream 2, there's uh, 40 hours uh, per month of the stream standard large instance type when using an image builder. You can try your sample applications, see kind of what that, uh, that workflow looks like without uh, any commitment. And then WorkDocs, there's a free tier available, 30-day free trial with up to a terabyte of storage per user for 50 users. Uh, again, if you're using workspaces, you can get that, uh, that WorkDocs integration with 50 gig of storage for no additional cost, or $2 to upgrade those users to a, uh, to a terabyte. Number of related sessions this week, if this has been interesting, if you want to go deeper into what we do in the EUC side, if you want to see what our customers are doing, we've got GE, we've got Facebook, we've got Carnival Cruises all talking about uh, using, using workspaces. And then we've got a, a deeper dive uh, on December 4th about the, uh, the workspaces streaming protocol to really enable that consistent user experience. So thank you. I appreciate everyone uh, coming out. I will be available up at the front for Q&A at the end here. Uh, please do remember to complete your session survey in the mobile app. That's how we decide whether they let me up on stage again next year. All right. Thank you very much.